Jurassic Park 3 Minute, we'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel, one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dan. And today we're back to discuss Minute 30 of Jurassic Park 3. David, 30 minutes in. Yeah. With, uh, without the credits, we sort of went ahead and we're going to have about 81 minutes of the podcast once you get to... Um, the Tyranodons flying away, we get the cut to black and we get the director's credit right at the end of the 81th minute, so it's sort of interesting where we are here with uh, the sort of being a third of the way. By minute 30 in the Lost World, well, Malcolm was banging the satellite phone down on the Emma class and mm-hmm. uh, asking he, <laughs> why won't this damn thing work? Yeah, it's about, what was it, um... We were definitely at the visitor center, I think, or, or at least on the island by the 30-minute mark. I know that much. Yeah. But we actually didn't get the tour until about the halfway mark. Mm. It was about 45 minutes in when uh, the tour, when they actually jumped in the cars and started heading off through the park. Yeah. Well, that's it. You've always said that you've said before that how much this is sort of Jurassic Park on speed, and here we are. Yeah. We've already had the plane crash. We've sort of had more action. In the uh, these for the last thirty minutes, and what we probably got in the rest of the, the, all the other two films, anyway, that we've done so far. And the other two, well, Jurassic Park and The Lost World, they had kind of these filler scenes, not really filler scenes, they were kind of necessary scenes of these beautiful beauty moments and awe moments where you see the Brachiosaurus come out, or you see the um, Stegosaurus come out of the trees. And you st- and the characters stand back and they're in awe and shock and l- loving every moment of it and you don't get that in Jurassic Park three you get that you get them flying over and that's kind of the awe moment it's literally a flyby and then they get off the plane get out back on the plane the plane crashes and here we are yeah even with that awe moment it's only Grant and Billy really that's that knows and wants to see the dinosaurs they're all looking for any signs of Eric and Ben so mm-hmm. yeah and it's and to think of it too like going back to Lost World briefly it was only because of that so called fan letter to David Kep to say hey get the dinosaurs in there earlier that we got the compies at the start um, otherwise we would have only had the Spinosaur attack or Spinosaur scene to uh, keep ourselves not enjoying it but the, just that action sequence well, to be fair, I mean, in the novel, we did get a bit more dinosaur action, so to speak. I mean, a little bit. It wasn't, like, major action sequences. But in the novel, we had the compies attacking Tina, the compies attacking the baby, the raptor attacking the worker, which was the opening for the first movie. Mm. But we actually, the main characters don't actually see a, a live dinosaur. Alan Grant and Ellie Sadler and Ian Malcolm don't actually see a live dinosaur until halfway through the book. Hmm. It's about it's like about middle way of the book before they get on the island and see the brontosaurus coming out of the fog. Yeah, well, even even in the film, it's once we get past the brachiosaur and the herd of herbivores on the plane there, um, we've got the baby raptor, and after that, everything else is attacking them <laughs> for the most part. Oh, no, I suppose you've got the sick triceratops. That, that sort of counters that a little bit. But yeah. Here we are further away through. We've definitely got a uh, a big influx of listeners over the last couple of weeks, which is fantastic to see, but we want to hear from you guys. If, uh, if there's anything about previous minutes we've discussed that you want to talk about, anything about minutes coming up that you want to discuss too, get on the Facebook page or Instagram. That's where we mainly hang out and have our conversations and 
get on and um, and let us know if you want to record something, your thoughts, and send it through. We'll get it on the show as well because it's just great having interaction in, interactions with the fans and just talking about this sort of stuff too. Yeah. Dr. Grant, you have no idea how important it is to us that you come along. It would make all the difference. This is Kirby. And of course, we'd love to make a contribution to your research here. Before we get into today's minute, David, we've done a bit of a bonus this week. We released a couple of days ago the uh, full reveal from Toy Fair, and uh, mm-hmm. there's some nice-looking figures in there. Yeah, there is. And Toy Fair is not the only present I have, actually. Oh, you have something new. I do have something new. It's something I've probably wanted since I was three years old. Ah, yes. <laughs> it is the uh, Alan Grant Fossil Raptor Claw, but it's like a perfect perfect kind of replica of it it's nice and it's got that nice thin arc to it with the uh deferring indents on either side of it, it it's got like the little pin pricks on it to give it a bit of texture in the hand it's really cool it's made out of a poly resin and i'm really really excited to have it i've seen photos of that look does look fantastic <laughs> i'll be too i'll definitely post pictures up when i uh, when this minute goes live, because, I mean, I'm just kind of twirling around in my hands. It's got, like, a nice little, the inner, inner edge comes to, like, a nice little soft edge, and it's lightweight. It's got, like, a little brown and black kind mm. of uh, coloration mixture to it, and it looks really, really cool. I'm really happy with it. Best 30 mm. bucks I've ever spent. Yeah, I'll be so so tempted just to carry it around my back pocket. <laughs> oh no, it's I kind of would be afraid to break it because it's, yeah. it's thinner, like the um, actual prop is, and I, I don't want to snap it to snap or anything. So I've been keeping it displayed next to my Alan Grant Pop Funko. <laughs> oh, fantastic! And yeah, as you said, like thirty bucks. That's that's one prop that's definitely worth <laughs> worth getting. Mm-hmm. I actually do have like a not another one. It's a bit larger and thicker and not as accurate. And that one is the one I you I like carry around for cosplay and stuff. Yep. yep. No, very nice. So how do you know the Kirby's? Uh, through our church. And lastly, um, David, something from minute 26 we didn't discuss. When the uh, Spinosaur bursts out of the trees into the clearing, we get the uh, the Telltale Jurassic Birds take flight. Mm-hmm. Which actually kind of mirrors a moment from Jurassic World when Zack and Grey are, uh, see the, the Indominus attacking the Ankylosaurus and they get away, they run out of a tree line only for a flock of birds to kind of rush out behind them and as they're running, then the Indom- Indominus comes out and bursts through the tree line as well, which mirrors this scene, except uh, instead of two kids, we get five adults mm. running running from a very large predator out of a tree line and into a grassy area. Yeah, and to remind listeners that uh, the previous two films, I think when the Trenosaur comes for the Gallimimus, that's when they launch there, isn't it, in Jurassic Park? I think so, yeah. The uh, T-Rex bursts out of a tree line, and we see them just uh, running for their lives. <laughs> well, I want them to be eaten. Mm. And, of course, in The Lost World, when the two parents are approaching the trailers and moving through the, the forest, we get the uh, the sound effect and the birds 
flying into the sky. So, interesting to see if that continues on in the franchise. Yeah. All right, so why me? He said we needed someone who'd been on the island before. Yes, but I did not tell you to kidnap somebody. I have never been on this island. Sure you have. You wrote that book. That was Isla Nublar. This is Isla Sorna. Site B. Dave, ready to get into minute 30? Sure. As we enter minute 29 of Jurassic Park 3, Grant joined Billy by a massive footprint in the mud. And Grant had asked Billy how would he classify it. As we open on minute 30, Billy says Baryonyx and Suchomimus. But Grant dismisses it and says Spinosaurus Egypticus and hands him a piece of broken tooth. At the 25 second mark, after Grant wonders what else InGen were up to on the island, the two look across at Paul Kirby, struggling to put his backpack on as the Looney Tunes music begins to play. At the 35 second mark, Billy and Grant approach Paul Billy asks, So Mr Kirby, when you climb K2, did your base camp at 25 or 30,000 feet? After some thinking, Paul says 30,000. We're pretty close to the top. At the 46 second mark, Billy mentions he was about 1,000 feet above it. And as the minute ends, Paul says no, no, that's a common mistake. And Grant asks another interesting question. There's no such thing as Kirby Enterprises, is there? Paul replies, sheepishly, that's Kirby Paint and Tile Plus. As we open on minute 30, uh, Grant asks Billy how would he classify the attacking monster and Billy thinks for a moment and then says Sukumimus and pulls his hand forward in front of his face to sort of signify a long snout. But um, Grant, being pretty sure of himself and being that mentor to him, says no, think bigger. And Billy comes straight back with Baryonyx and Grant shakes his head, not with that sail. And then he produces what looks like a, a piece of tooth. It, I don't think it's a full-size tooth, but... Uh, it says Spinosaurus Egypticus. It, the tooth looks like it was something that had been broken off because as he's kind of twisting it around his hand there, you can see a large chip on, at the bottom of it. Mm. And it, it looks like it was just something that broke off in the wreckage and Grant came across it and pulled out and stuck it in his pocket or something. It's almost something, another little thing that keeps on coming up in these films where... During an attack or after an attack, a dinosaur seems to lose a tooth or some part of itself for the uh, people to yeah. look for. We've got the same thing with the Indominus Rex. One of its tooth all sort of chips off in the gyrosphere that Alan gets. And then, of course, mm-hmm. it all culminates in Fallen Kingdom where we just got Wheatley going around collecting teeth. <laughs> <laughs> He's the tooth fairy. <laughs> He's not leaving a dollar under your pillow, though. <laughs> No, you, you don't want him leaving you anything. <laughs> That's one. I can never remember both names at the time. I can remember Ted Levine or I can remember Wheatley. I can never remember the two when I need to. Uh, but uh, Billy takes the tooth and says, I don't remember that on InGen's list. And Grant replies, That's because it wasn't on their list. And it makes me wonder what else they're up to. Which sort of brings up a couple of little discussion points here. Um, firstly, Billy mentioning Sukumimus and Baryonyx first off, was that because he knew they were on their list and he was trying to say, well, it can only be one of these two animals? I don't think so. I think it, it always felt to me more like it was one of those mentoring moments, like Grant's ask, going, uh, asking a student, uh, so what do you think the animal is, you know? It's like he's taking it to be a learning moment. Mm. 
Yeah, because I think with the uh, DPG stuff that come out, they, there wasn't actually a um, Sukumimus on the on the list, was there? For what was released? No, no, there wasn't. There was no Sukumimus. Mm. I suppose that leads into to what what do we think Ingen's list is? We've brought up before. Um, it might have been towards the end of Lost World with uh, what happens now. Surely there would have been inquiries. Uh, and all that sort of stuff of InGen. I don't doubt it, no. Mm. I, I think that they would have, um, like, asked uh, InGen, okay, so what else have you been doing on those islands? And they would have been forced to procure a list, and then InGen would have, would have had to just give everything up, you know? I wonder if materials would have been seized. Like, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I... So it's sort of what what jurisdiction is here? Is it is it FBI that would run the investigation after the San Diego incident? Would be it wouldn't be state police. Um, uh, maybe. Uh, I think it'd either be the FBI or um, you know, like some kind of committee they would have put together, congressional committee. Because mm. you do the um, sort of like the animals, not animal protection, but. Um, CDC, man. Yeah, Maybe. It'd, ha- it'd have to be like a, like a, yeah, like as I said, like a committee of several different ones, you'd think. Yeah. Because even, and we haven't really talked about, and it's more for um, Fallen Kingdom discussion, but with the novels, how they were in Costa Rica to get away from genetics laws and that. Yeah. And that's the whole reason I'm in Costa Rica where that hasn't really been shown in the films. So whether there'd be sort of genetics rules and that being broken here as well, you'd you'd assume so, especially when we what we hear after the fact with the Gene Guard Act and all that that come from mm-hmm. the San Diego incident. And I suppose the other one briefly here too is Grant saying he wonders what they're up to and in the um in the novel later he actually says he says sort of who who knows what else they're up to, which here, here it sort of alludes that he's sort of starting to wonder and want to know more of what's actually going on here since he never experienced mm-hmm. the Lost World. He sort of just knows InGen from Jurassic Park and probably what he read in the newspapers. And it sort of rem- reminds me too of the uh, the whole comic series that sort of led into this film with Grant being the Robin Crusoe <laughs> on the island. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Studying the animals. Oh, I mean, which I don't think would have been a bad idea, frankly. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Levine, what Levine was doing in the Lost World novel, kind of just setting up a tripod in the tree and observing, basically. Which I could see, I could kind of see at one point Grant probably would have wanted to have done. But at another point, I mean, I really never read the script, so I never really knew anything past that. So I'm not sure if I would have liked anything that came after that idea. Mm. Well, that's it. He's only experienced these animals in a theme, in a, like a park setting where you wouldn't have animals like males going at each other for mating purposes. You wouldn't have um, predators hunt. Yes, he got to see. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when you're seeing the Trenosaur go after those Galamimus, you sit there and look how it eats, and is mesmerised by watching that Trenosaur hunt those Galamimus. And even sort of later on in this film, where he's sitting there watching the raptors, he's being he's being sort of attacked or cornered by raptors but instead of getting away his main sort of thing is to sit there and watch and he's like what are you saying what are you doing what and sort of looking and observing the animals so 
It's something you'd never be able to see in a in a park setting. But then we get <laughs> the Looney Tune moment. Both of them sort of look at each other for a moment before their attention's moved over to Paul Kirby, spinning around in circles. Yeah, I love the look they're giving each other. They just like look at each other, and Grant almost does an eye roll, and you're just like, "There's something wrong here." <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> this, is, this is not. This is not happening. Yeah. Yep. But he's yeah sitting there spinning in circles, trying to put his backpack on, and Billy slowly stands up here, and then we get that sort of Looney Tunes score as uh, Billy walks over towards him, and we get a cut as Paul's trying to adjust his straps and get his thumb caught in the buckle. Which again is a little bit of a dirt moment. And uh, Billy asks him, so Mr. Kirby, when you climb K2, did you base camp at 25 or 30,000 feet? Mm-hmm. And Paul sort of tries to think for an answer. You can see he's thinking for a little bit and uh, says 30,000, well, pretty close to the top. <laughs> Which uh, you you checked out how high it is, Dave. I, I neglect to actually see how tall it was, but what did you say? It was 29,000 and something and change feet. Uh, Everest is 29,000 uh, something, and then K2 is about 2,000, or I mean about 1,000 feet shorter than that. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Everest is 29,000, 29 feet and grows about quarter inch a year. And then K2 is 28,251 feet. So, yeah, there he, he was right. He's over 1,000 feet above it. <laughs> it, was, it was actually 1,000 feet over Everest. <laughs> Uh, yeah well Billy corrects him here you're about a thousand feet above it actually <laughs> and that's when we get another sort of dirty look from Grant on his face as he's like he's rolling up his jacket here and putting it in his backpack Paul tries to backpedal and waves his finger no no no, no that's a uh, common mistake you know it's, uh, especially if you're like a ge- geology student like I was I was a geology student and we usually bring altimeters with us when we do like mountain hikes just to as like just as a point to record the height that we go to mm. and Billy would have as a geology student would have probably have done the same I'm sure especially in his basic geology classes when they go out in the field and they're working working with the rocks they they, they know where they're at mm. you know <laughs> yeah well we get a little bit more about that in the um in the script in a minute too mm-hmm Grant pretty much just comes up and says that um, Mr. Kirby, there's no such thing as Kirby Enterprises, is there? <laughs> as the sort of minute ends, we get the um, Paul coming clean. Well, it's Kirby Paint Tile Plus. The plus stands for, and we get that in the next minute. Which is sort of, here he's coming out clean again about what, I suppose it's the last secret they've got, where we already knew after the uh, Spinosaur attack where he gets punched by Grant and he lays all out that they're there to find their son and not not adventurers. You'd think this would come out then as well, but I suppose it just took him turning around in circles trying to put a backpack on for him to think, hey, wait a minute. You don't seem as adventurous as you're letting on earlier in the film. Yeah, especially because, I mean, they seem to have done a lot of that adventuring, or they make it sound like they uh, did a lot of that adventuring themselves, that they, they climbed K2, that they weren't just kind of hiked up there with an alpaca and a, mm. and a couple of Sherpas. Yeah, but then on the other hand too, you could sort of you'd sort of think if they're wealthy, it sort of links back to that whole rich white guy in Africa thing where he's he's in the air conditioned vehicle, the air conditioned tent, or being being sort of looked after while all these minions and I suppose you could say slaves as well. If you go back to the eighteen hundreds, where just 
on his beckoning call on that where he's he got the Kirby's they went up the mountain but they'll probably get carried on someone's backpack <laughs> they'll get piggybacked up they don't really seem like the Roland types who want to experience no. <laughs> it themselves you know but then again they yeah, make it yeah. sound like they did uh, briefly getting into the script um, after Billy suggests Sukumamus Grant says they never got that big and then after he says it wasn't on InGen's list he heads who knows what else they're up to which we mentioned before well the who knows what they're up to line was really more of a it caused some kind of uh, not drama so much but it caused a lot of speculation within the fandom around the early 2000s after this movie came out the engine was really up to no good that they really were they kind of locked some abominations in the basement, and then left the and then le- uh, unlocked them when they were clearing out. Well, you know? I think it, it's probably too bit of a relic of the fact there's no real human antagonist in this film. Antagonist is the right word, isn't it? Villain, yeah. Um, yeah. Where you've sort of got the spinosaur here coming up and back and forth every now and then to uh, chase them, but in Jurassic Park. Even though InGen's not dropped, you've, you see everything Hammond's trying to do, and sort of you're sympathetic towards it, and um, you're sort of on his side, especially at the end where he sees his dream crushed, and then come the Lost World where, well, yes, it was good they made these animals, but now the company wants to sort of get their money back for it, and and all that with what Ludlow's doing, and here, well, we can't have we can't have people going after animals again for profit. Let's just sort of add this little bit more of a shadier side to Hammond, to Hammond and InGen that, yes, they made the animals, but it might not have been all roses while they were doing it. I think we'll definitely see that when we get to the lab, too. Yeah, like I was just about to say, I'm sure there's accidents and uh, malformations, but it doesn't really seem like InGen was this really bad, nasty, evil company out to purposely... Uh, create mm. monsters yeah. well if you look in, into the novel Lost World novel as well they're desperate they're sort of having to have a hundred a hundred egg uh, eggs fertilised to have one live birth mm. it's sort of it's not really um, monster science or whatever else it's just the fact the fact of what they're doing that's that's the outcome that's what had to be done to get the yields they needed true even with even even just still with the novel just them letting the animals go it was out of desperation because they had infection in the lab and the animals were dying they were doing all this spending all this money creating them and they were just dying in the lab from infection that's why out of desperation they let them go to try and let them survive in the wild for mm-hmm. a couple of months before capturing them and sending them to New Block. yeah exactly but yeah we'll, I think we'll have a lot more about that to talk about when we get to the lab in, um, in about six minutes time which <laughs> as you said this movie is moving along quite nicely David, anything else on Minute 30 you want to discuss before we get heavier today? Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> Alright. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them 
is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less. Um, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. You're desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.